Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast and a little bit drunk from the last episode. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I've made a mistake, Adam. Oh? I I went uh, to the kitchen and I opened the fridge and I saw that I had a bottle of tonic water in there that had been opened about a week ago. And I was like, well, it would be a shame to let that go to waste. So I made myself a gin and tonic. That's what you need. We're recording this right on the heels of our last episode. I guess last week's episode from the perspective of the majority of people experiencing this unfortunate situation. (laughs) Oh, boy. So if you haven't unsubscribed at that point... We're gonna give you another. We're gonna get another crack at it right here. Yeah, another punch to the groin is inbound. Yeah, our podcast is often confused with a punch to the groin. Mm. That's why people don't like to listen to it in their cars on the way right. to work. Yeah, could cause a lot of vehicular accidents. But uh, this gin and tonic is quite nice. Tbh, are you keeping the party going on your side? Oh, I've I've switched to a buffer water, Ben. That's a smart move. Gotta hold it together. I attempted to do a buffer water hang last night. Of course, uh, everybody knows we're recording this on July 5th. So uh, last night I was, uh, you know, I was like about three beers in and I was like, I think a, a sparkly water would be a, a nice move at this point. <laughs> Open the fridge. Nothing but LaCroix in there. So I'll, oh, you don't like that? It's too much flavor. I'll I'll slum it in the Lacroix hang for <laughs> one drink or whatever. But gee, thanks. What are you? Are you a stockholder of Lacroix? No, I just think it's uh it's easy to obtain. Yeah, quite delicious. Here's here's in the that problem. order. Here's the problem with you, Adam. You <laughs> live in the Pacific Northwest, a land. To which sparkly water was essentially unknown about five years ago. And I know this because I spent several long months going to Seattle and Tacoma working on my documentary, which I'm still not done with. And I, a New Yorker at the time, was a big fan of sparkle water. So I was like, oh, I'll uh, check into this long-term house rental that I'm doing so that I can make my movie. And I'll go... I'll go hit the grocery store. I'll get some breakfast cereal. I'll get some stuff to make like quesadillas and shit. I'll get myself a bunch of sparkle water. I love that shit. It was hard to find. Honestly, hard to find. Like I would like go around to different grocery stores and be like, yeah, we don't sell anything in the seltzer category at all. And then suddenly LaCroix is in there, and you guys are all like... I love the idea of you, a visitor to our city, asking a grocery store employee if they had anything in the seltzer category. Do you think the way you formed the question might have been uh, a problem with the answer that you got? No, Adam, because it just wasn't available. That's the pro- that, that was the issue. And I, what I have to compare this to is... That at the at the same time I was often flying JFK to LAX and ordering myself a a club soda or a seltzer water 
as a as an in-flight beverage, you know, just push the, the cart. The very important person shuttle flight right there, the LAX to JFK, huh? And by the time they get back to my dumb section of the plane, they'd say, uh, "Sir, what would you like to drink?" And I would say, uh, "I'll I'll take a seltzer water or a club soda, whatever you got." And they say, "Sorry, we're out. It's a very popular drink on this on this particular route, and we run out about row thirty, and you're in row thirty-four. So sorry." Oh boy, this is uh, this is pre Ben getting platinum butt plug status with the airline. Like <laughs> you're not a row you're not a row thirty-five person. You're in yeah. the teens at least. You're Not permanent anymore. teens, Ben. I felt really bad the other day because I was on a flight back from a video gig, and uh, they had booked me on my airline of choice, and uh, they had booked a couple of other people that were also participants in the thing that I am shooting on my airline of choice. And these are people who are more important than I am in the project that I am uh, working on right now. Not in the eyes of an airline, Ben. But in the eyes of the airline, I am a uh, I'm a platinum butt plug. So I was <laughs> sitting in first class when these two, two people boarded the flight, and so I had to like go on the like corporate Slack channel and say like, "Hey, listen, if this comes up, I got upgraded for free to first class, and I was on an economy ticket. Those two people probably saw me sitting in first class and wondered why." I'm being flown first class and they are not, and I feel really bad about that. Just taking the the resting state amount of guilt that Ben has and then ra- <laughs> ratcheting that up to make it professional guilt. Yeah. And then finally class guilt. It's like yeah. the, the guilt trinity that you had to <laughs> deal with. You had to absolve yourself from it, Ben. <laughs> yeah. And like two nights before, I had been participating in a power and privilege workshop with these people. So <laughs> I was uh, the uh, <laughs> cisgendered straight white male sitting in, uh, sitting in first class saying like, good to see you guys. Okay. <laughs> if you're playing the greatest gen bingo game and you have the virtue signal square, uh, go ahead and, uh, and put your, your, ink, your ink blotter on that one. One square closer. To blackout bingo. I might have to. I might have to cancel the program, Adam. You're <laughs> you're a real piece of shit. <laughs> Finally, we're at the real piece of shit portion of the run. Why does it? It's make, a truth make, that I've always known. Why is it myself. a virtue signal to say that I'm aware of my privilege? No, it, it's it's that's not it at all, Ben. It's that it's that you go to conferences. It's the conference element of it. Going to conferences is one of the most dangerous things I do. I don't know it's if somebody's going to turn me into a Romulan sleeper agent on the way home. Sacramento is truly the Pacifica of California, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> ben, you're my favorite. I would I would never uh, seek to make you feel bad about how much you care about things. These are these are important matters. Here's and you're the doing thing. and you're doing great work. So you- you would say, seek to make me feel bad about those things, but I have granted you prior consent to make me feel bad about those things for comedy. So That's right. It remains to be seen whether or not uh, I've upheld my part of that bargain. <laughs> yeah. Probably so have if, if you have laughed at this, you know, send us an email, I guess. <laughs> and if don't. not, like, send us an email also, and then I'll evaluate my friendship with Adam based on this information. I'm just going to say this. Don't send us any email unless it's an emergency. <laughs> emergency emails only is the policy from here on out. Con Radio 
receiving emergency action message. Recommend alert one. Recommend alert one. I'm just going to, let's see how many we've let it get up to. We, we almost reached inbox zero a while ago, and we are now back up to 107. Are we really? Yeah, it's fucked up. It's bad. What? Yeah, it's not good. I have inbox 10. Why am I seeing a different number than you? 107 emails. You probably have, yeah, you have 10 un opened emails but like we have a we have a method of processing this inbox i feel like i've never understood our method of processing and i think that that's the main problem there are rules here this is our inbox is not vietnam (laughs) pin you read the email you respond to the email you file it in processed that folder yeah i think you've probably explained that to me but I don't really know what type A is, and I don't know what type B is, but I feel like whatever we are, we're different type. Yeah, that could be. That's that's why we that's why we have so much fun talking to each other because it's like talking to a crazy person. I just hate this uh, this sword of email Damocles. <laughs> I want to be free from it. Yeah. And I think uh, I think our viewers can help by uh, by taking it easy on the emails. Well, well, let's let's just take a quick survey here. I see uh, Brian Irwin, a beloved friend of Desoto, who uh, is going to go to our DC live show, and he he took great photographs at our last DC live show, and is offering to take them again. I see. Speaking of DC, I see AJ DiGregorio offering to take us on a tour of a NASA site before our DC live show. Boy, you did a great job with that name, by the way, for how a- drunk you are. Wow. AJ AJ DiGregorio came to our Toronto show last year just so that he could give us some eclipse watching glasses that we needed very badly when we went to Boston and the eclipse happened. Yeah, that guy's great. I still have those glasses. Yeah. AJ DiGregorio. My uh, my This Is Fine dog, my stuffed plush This Is Fine dog is wearing those glasses as we speak. I don't know what that means. You've seen This Is Fine dog, haven't you? I, I see a, I I'm going to Jackie and Lori show this to you right now. <laughs> I see an email in here from Derek saying, greetings from the warm-honeyed bosom. And anything from the warm-honeyed bosom is obviously of great importance to us. So I'd say don't stop sending us email. Sounds like you're going for the job of email guy. And you've got it. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Maybe next year we can make one of our, our pledge goals having Rob's, Rob's, Rob's handle email for us. We are eventually going to load up Rob's, Rob's, Rob's with so much work that he will quit and then we will be <laughs> totally and completely fucked. <laughs> hey, come, for, jerks come, we are. come work for us, two unreliable idiots. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That won't backfire. Adam, what will backfire is this next episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Do you want to get into it? Yeah, the decision to do this episode being that backfire. (laughs) It's season two, episode 24, The Collaborator. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. It's an episode built around dream sequences, Ben. Three of them, to be precise. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a three-temple type of episode. <laughs> um, Vedic Brile is having some orb hangs. 
Do you think he hits this orb whenever he wants, or he needs to get permission to hit that orb? I think as a as a Vedic, you have fairly liberal orb privileges. The orb clearly has office hours, right? There's probably orb interruptus. Do you think uh, he has like he ever has conversations where he needs to check his orb privilege? <laughs> like, oh, obviously, like I get to orb a lot more than you guys do, and it's legal given my status, given my situation. Do you think you need an orb refractory period after where you can just like <laughs> chill out? Just think about Kira in a onesie playing handball. All right. Like you can't just hit that orb over and over again, probably. It's too powerful. I don't know. I mean, he's seeing some pretty chilling shit in his orb experiences. And I don't want to give too much away about my opinion of this episode, but I would say that <laughs> Him seeing chilling shit in this in these orb experiences is kind of a betrayal of the ultimate reveal in this episode. Hmm. What do you think of these dream sequences? Like, I feel like they try to make them nightmarish, but they aren't necessarily effective in like instilling any kind of fear it's just like the sort of thing where you try to explain a dream to someone else and it's just scenes that are sort of loosely related to one another and then the person you're telling your dream about just sort of like stares off into the middle distance not not really invested in them in any way the uh the eyes gloss over yeah (laughs) i feel like they are at once more disjointed than previous orb experiences that we've seen and also more explicitly messagey than orb experiences we've seen like people have interpreted their profit encounters in the past on this show i feel like these sequences are like telling telling us explicitly what they want us to take away from them it's probably back no it's not It's you. One thing's for sure, Ben, is that uh, the guy who plays Vedic Burial has it in his contract that he needs to be shirtless <laughs> in every episode he's in because, uh, like, before theme song, he's shirtless in this episode. Ben, what do you make of uh, shirtless Vedic Burial? I'd hit it. <laughs> <laughs> he's got kind of hot dad vibes, right? Yeah. He's he's got a nice tan. He's uh he's taking care of himself. He's obviously uh hitting the hitting the gym. But he's nice... not he doesn't have like weight room body. He just has like generally yeah. in shape body. He has nineties toned dad body. Like Ben, what is that? when I was at the pool at Max FunCon, someone someone took my picture there. Which oh yeah. Was a thing that I didn't really enjoy, but I felt like to tell this person not to take your picture, I feel like would have been to start a thing. Uh-huh. So I didn't want to start that thing. So he's was, he's Were they like creep shotting you? Were they no, took no, a no, picture no. without is, asking permission or anything? A, a bunch of people are taking pictures at Max FunCon. This is like part of what happens there. They're documenting the occasion. Uh-huh. One such person was there taking pictures and I was in the pool. And uh as you are in the pool, you're wearing swim trunks. And uh, and this person took my picture and he and totally unsolicited was like, "Hey, your body." 
Not a a great way to start a sentence. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Your body isn't bad or aspirational. What? That's a sentence somebody actually said to you? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. I would argue that Vedic Burial's body, both good and aspirational. Yeah. We would be so lucky to look that good. In the in the three years it'll take for us to be that age. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. He's having a pretty romantic hang with Kira. Like she's got the kind of like must up post coital hair that like I, like she's being like ultra sexy almost in the way she was as mirror universe Kira. You're supposed to be relaxed. Um I'm very relaxed. You know, like hypersexual Kira is not an unfamiliar character to us at this point. And uh, this is like hyper hypersexual prime universe Kira having a hypersexual hang with her sexy friend, right? Yeah. I love this about her. She's like very confident in her feelings toward him. I don't know that they've quite gotten to like, I love you, I love you point of their relationship but they are they have a really passionate connection you know and yeah like the tension of will they won't they is long gone yeah they have they will they they do (laughs) and also they like you know spread themselves out on a chaise long and look all sexy for each other (laughs) is that how you pronounce that yes how do you pronounce it was that a was that a, a word for chaise lounge? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a French term and it's pronounced <laughs> chaise longue. Mm. <laughs> you pronounced the name of our furniture incorrectly. <laughs> that that is something that Vichy French guy would say. But yeah, like um, there's some uh, there's some big Kai shit afoot, right? Yeah, there uh there's an election. And she's kind of she's kind of turned on by this, like the the fact that he is kind of a shoe in for Bajoran Pope. She digs on power. I guess so. I don't know if that's why she fell for him initially, is it? Because he was power adjacent and he had a line to the throne? I don't know. I thought she fell for him because he's super handsome and chill. Well, here's maybe the only way that the crossover had any kind of effect on any other episode in the short term. And that is there's a scene in the last episode where Prime Kira, in her attempt to manipulate Mirror Kira, is like, hey, you got to teach me your ways. Because there's sort of a power vacuum on Bajor that I feel like I can fill that. I wonder if that's a part of what's happening here is like her coziness to Beryl is a way for her to gain some influence that she really she really wants yeah I, I wish we had talked about that last episode now that you bring that up because that is a, like that scene I wondered is she saying that to manipulate this power hungry iteration of herself or is does like does real Kira Norris does prime Kira Norris really crave this amount of influence? And if she did, that would be a pretty surprising character trait. Given like 
obviously she's impassioned and wants to be there in the mix doing the right thing, but I never got the sense that she was power hungry, you know. I didn't I didn't get the power the, the sense that she was power thirsty as the millennials say. I really think it's weird that Kaiopaka is chilling out on some prison planet somewhere and like she doesn't send any mail. Like you could ask <laughs> Kaiopaka what she feels like about a, a given situation, but no one does. Yeah, we could get her take on all of this. Yeah. That's some real hardcore shit right there. Like, do you think she assumed that someone would try to reach out to her on matters having to do with Bajor? She's and been she's writing like, a letter every day and, <laughs> and not seeing any response and is just like, uh, wow, not really what I was picturing about this interaction. She's just waiting by the phone for her grandkids to call. It's very sad. That's kind of like setting the table. We have a scene where uh, they're walking around on the promenade and they bump into their old their old good time buddy. Vedic win. I had no idea you were on the station. Who is, uh, you know, being, being her old, unlikable self. You know, she, uh, she says some shit about how the prophets will love you if you love them, and Brial gets in the jab of, uh, hey, you know what? I think their love is unconditional, and I think that that's what's really cool about them. <laughs> He's kind of the uh, like the youth pastor of Vedics. Sure. Um, They're having a real, uh, like, Seattle-style conversation, like two neighbors that hate each other, like, (laughs) meeting on a sidewalk somewhere, like, really throwing haymakers, but in a really civil kind of way. Nothing pleases me more than providing you with an opposing viewpoint, better Gwyn. Somehow you never fail to do that. Kira's like, it's it's surprising to see you. Should I put, like... A dozen fire extinguishers next to Keiko's school while you're here? <laughs> we have not seen Keiko in so long. Yeah. She uh she visiting another grandparent during their birthday or something? I would have loved to just have one scene where Keiko sees Fedek win in this episode and has like a panic attack, you know? Yeah. Just like what this lady is capable of has previously been established as like kind of a shit ton, you know, like yeah. it can never be pinned to her, you know, it's like the house at the beginning of Sicario full of dead bodies, you know, owned, owned by the, owned by the drug dealer, but you can never prove it. Especially because like everyone's attitudes towards her could be described as mixed at best. It yeah. would be nice to get someone all the way over on the side of hostile. Right. And that was what Keiko was. Like, she was yeah. like, Keiko fucking rode for, hey, we're going to teach science and truth and not your religion at my school. That was like the cool thing about Keiko in that episode. And I almost feel like you can't have a win episode without Keiko. Yeah, they should be a package. Should be a package deal. Uh, sort of like the way that there's an anti-package deal with Beryl and uh, and his shirt. 
<laughs> so too, there should be a package deal with Wynn and Keiko. Hey, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. peanut butter and my chocolate. We also get a scene where kind of like a distinguished older Bajoran gentleman is uh, walking his way up the promenade and, and has a bump into with a random guy and the guy recognizes him. And this older gentleman turns out to be Kubis Oak, kind of a Vichy Bajoran. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I was momentarily distracted by uh, this guy's leather can koozie. Like, like it looks like he's got a he's got a cooler, and he's on his way to a fishing trip. Oh, the guy that bumps into him. Yeah, it, it doesn't look like a very comfortable shoulder carry for him. It's got dimensionality in a way that a igloo would, except for it's made out of natural materials in the way that an igloo never would. Right. It's a beautiful bag. It's never going to fit in that carry-on cage, though, at the gate. When is the igloo corporate, or or like the Coleman Corporation, you know, going to come out with a natural material insulated bag like this where we can put a six-pack in and walk around the promenade and know that our beers are staying cold. Like, that's what you want. You want to mix your leather with moisture. Everyone knows this. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the path to, to spiritual <laughs> enlightenment. <laughs> make make the interior suede. Suede interior. Suede interior. <laughs> Making a cooler out of PVC is a war crime. <laughs> That's a dumb joke. I'm sorry. This guy gets made, though, is the yeah. thing. The guy sort of double takes him, and he's like, holy shit. This is the thing that I You're like. Kubis that- Oak. Yeah. I love that this happens on D- DS9 from time to time, where somebody is walking around in public and gets kind of a rabble around them. And uh, it happens in- right in front of Odo's office. So he kind of comes out, and he's like, oh, Mr. Bunker. What's going on here? And they're like, this guy's Kubis Oak. And Odo's like, oh, nice to meet you, sir. Anyways, come with me. You're under arrest. Yeah, like, good thing it happened right outside of that office because Odo clearly wasn't working customs when the ships were coming in. Like, how did this guy get through? Yeah, there's a lot of questions about how TSA works on DS9. Yeah. It would have been nice to sh- see him in the in the queue and then get up to the guy and he's like, what's your vi- purpose for visiting Deep Space Nine, business or pleasure? And then like look through his passport and see all the other planets he's visited. Oh, you spent a lot of time on uh, Cardassia, I see. Uh, what, 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 what were you doing there, Mr. Oak? You know? I guess my headcanon is uh, the customs agent was so thrown by the idea of a leather-lined cooler from the guy that went through before that he was just totally distracted. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm just like, did you see that guy's cooler? What the fuck? That was a dope cooler. Like, what is that run? Like, Where is that like a even... $2,500 cooler? <laughs> or like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> Is it is it a heritage piece? Like, can you pass that down? Like, is is it gonna last? Like, can you fill a leather thing up with ice and water and cans of liquid and have it survive? <laughs> Yeti you, was like, "You think you you think you want to spend five hundred dollars on a cooler? How'd you like to spend five thousand dollars on a cooler? <laughs> Fuck you!" <laughs> yeah, 
You think your Yeti is fancy? Well, check this out. <laughs> you have to rub it with shoe polish every two weeks or it goes bad. Hey, it's your brother Marvin. Marvin Yeti? <laughs> you know that new cooler you would try to design? <laughs> well, listen to this. Yeah, we all know the sounds that coolers make. <laughs> He holds his phone up to a leather cooler. <laughs> uh, the last bit this of this scene... This is why Marvin Yeti and his brother are estranged, by the way. Yeah. The last bit of this scene is Mr. Kubis making pretty intense eyes with Fedek Wynn. Who happens to just be wandering around. Yeah. The kind of eyes the criminals make to each other. Mm-hmm. Ben, Indeed. would you like another dream sequence? Uh, yeah, lay a, lay a dream sequence on me, buddy. Well, in dream sequence two, the dreaming. <laughs> two dream, two sequence? You can tell it's a dream because Vedic Wynn is nice to Vedic Burial initially. Yeah. And then we get a kind of a, a smash to Kaiopaka appearing and then asking him to walk in her footfalls. Uh, because her path should be his destiny. Message! What did you think about the Kai costumes? Because she had like a very specific costume. Sure. And then he has a very specific costume. Uh, like in the dream sequence, like version of Barail as Kai, he has a very specific look that is super distinct from the way Kai Opaka was dressed. I think the tragedy of Burial, you know, of the potential of Burial becoming Kai is that he'd have to wear a shirt all the time. <laughs> and I think that's what makes this dream sequence a nightmare. Yeah. Opaka is not going to be that liberated of a Kai, but like you would, you like to hope that Burial would. Yeah. You know, like the long arc of history bends toward justice. and It's, it's morning on Bajor. And yeah. Burial sleeps shirtless. Yeah. The orbs, the uh, the prophets, they want to give Burial a gift, right? And uh, the gift is a hat box full of a angry snake. <laughs> <laughs> and then he reaches into the hat box and pulls out a noose. Yeah. And a noose is a, is a, image, a bit of imagery that has, you know, we've seen it before, Adam, the... Uh, the previous dream sequence had a guy hanging from the promenade. So, the fuck is he talking about? Yeah, this isn't a, the sort of noose that he would tie around the the door handle of a hotel room, and then <laughs> and then proceed to jack it. This is uh, he's not a comedian in two thousand three or whatever. <laughs> no, it uh, it appears that uh, Burrell's hitting the dream maker pretty hard here. Indeed, Adam. Um, and this is like I think that these dream sequences are a little bit heavy-handed. You know, they're they're kind of saying a very specific thing, like you're dead meat. You're <laughs> you're not you're, you're like it's a very all, horse head in your bed kind of situation, right? Like they're making him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah, and. Uh, you you don't get the sense that you see a dream sequence like this and also have this guy wind up uh, getting elected pope, right? 
Yes, uh, that's it exactly. I think, you know, what's weird about all these dream sequences is that like there's never the cold sweat wake up scene that Boreal gets. He just sort of takes his hands off of the orb and then closes the box that they come in, and he's yeah. and it's like and, nothing and ever happened. Yeah, I mean he's he's obviously not psyched about what he's hearing, but he's also not like terrorized by it in a way that I kind of think he could have been like, I don't know. Like I'm so torn about these dream sequences because I think that they're an interesting narrative device, but I don't think that they're, they're that well used in this episode. And I don't think that they kind of are, I, I think you could use them, but not for this, you know? I really wonder if they shot a bunch of versions of this where their reactions are different. Like, this seems like a decision that isn't necessarily on the page. Like, this this feels like a directed decision versus a story decision. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you probably don't have the same... Like, you don't have, like, a Judd Apatow amount of money and time to shoot all these sequences and get, like, different versions and then test it and see what plays the best. Mm-hmm. But this is an episode that is all setting the table, you know? It's it's setting the table for season three and setting the table for a new reality. And the like the work that they do to kind of tear this character down, I feel is weird and not quite what I I would want them to pick. Especially because like if if you're just doing the fantasy draft of who to destroy on DS9. Yeah. Not sure Burial would be a very high pick, but maybe that's why they seek to destroy him. I think that it is. I think that's something that's super different about Deep Space Nine and TNG, too. Like, the characters that we like and that are good on Deep Space Nine find themselves in harder and more intractable situations. Especially because by destroying Burial, what you're really destroying is Kira. Yeah, exactly. Like, Kira does not get what she wants in Brian being destroyed. Even though, like, they she has like stated differences with him, like decency and honor on Bajor go away when Brian is not elevated to mm. top of the top of the heap, right? Right. And that's really interesting. Like that is, like what whatever. Captain Picard represented on on TNG and like the the thing that he believed Starfleet to be. Are you like, talking about when Captain Picard was good on the series or when he turned into a sociopath nightmare person in first contact? <laughs> I'm just saying like like when when he interacts with the brass and the brass disagrees with him, it's so upsetting because it's like he really puts Starfleet on a pedestal. Like the the thing, like the socio-political ideals it represents. And Kira's relationship with Bajor is much more like, this is my home and I love it and I love the people there, whatever their ideals are. Like it's it's less complicated in a certain way. But I think this episode is, is a similar challenge for Kira about Bajor as Picard occasionally gets about Starfleet, which is 
like this is the holy of holies and we're gonna kind of antagonize it a little bit you know what i mean yeah like the the admirals aren't necessarily trustworthy as a episode type that makes picard feel terror and the holy people aren't necessarily trustworthy as an episode type that like cuts to the quick for major kira there's another similarity at work here which is like just as unlikable as the admiralty is in TNG, so too is the religious faction on Bajor. Like, I don't even think Vedic Burial is drawn in a way that makes you particularly like him, other than because Kira likes him, you know? Yeah, I mean, she doesn't even like his view about scripture. Like, they're kind of the, like, Democrat and Republican couple, in a way. <laughs> like, they kind of... They talk about the fact that they don't oh, talk uh, about Vedic it. Vedic Burial enjoys sex way too much to be a Republican. Yeah, I think I think Kira's kind of the Republican. <laughs> oh, interesting. In this couple. Like, she's kind of a hardliner. Well, I'm I'm just not going to brook any of that kind of criticism of, of <laughs> Kira. I just, I can't do it, especially after crossover. I, I hope you'll just permit me my ongoing fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> You can't think a woman that would wear an outfit like that could ever have a fascist political opinion. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard to square. <laughs> Fair enough, Adam. I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that. One thing about Kubas Oak, Ben, is that if you close your eyes and you really think about it, he sounds exactly like Alan Alda. Right? (laughs) Exactly! I never doubted your ability to handle the situation, Odo. You always were good at your job. He's Alan Alda-ing. And how are you guys going to shoot the dinosaurs? Is it going to be a forced perspective? I mean, he's either Alan Alda-ing or like Tom Silva-ing. I brought a small skid steer loader that will drill 48 inches deep. Yeah. He's got a very specific kind of vocal effect. You know, he's like, uh, if if you're going to collaborate with an invading foreign power, you're going to want to do it under the cover of being a member of the government that is positioned in the Vichy section of your country. You're going to want to make sure those tank treads don't sink into the mud. <laughs> Which is why when I'm constructing a new road, you want to lay down some good pea gravel, a good 12 to 14 inches. They go visit this dude in the lockup, right? He's been detained by Odo, and Odo is there, like, monologuing at him, and then there's, like, that fun reveal where it's like, oh, no, you thought this was going to be an Odo monologue? Nah, nah, it's a Kira monologue. Azure is my home. I never should have left it. But you did. I think he kind of came with the impression that he was under some somebody's protection. You know, the like intense look exchange between him and Vedic Wynn implies that he felt like he was going to be okay. But she has some like legitimate moral complaints with this guy. Like he collaborated with the not with the uh not the nazis what are they called the cardassians and he's been living on cardassia since the occupation which means you know he liked those guys there's an incident that's referred to a couple of times in this episode called the kendra valley massacre which 
isn't the wine mixer that your mom's friend Kendra <laughs> drank too much at and then uh, yeah. knocked over a couple of tables. It's not the girl you attempted to go down on in college that you didn't do a great job on. <laughs> and uh, she went to bed disappointed. And you went to yeah. bed drunk. You'll have to be more specific, Ben. That's uh, <laughs> not enough detail for me to... <laughs> anyway, so... Kendra, what... Kendra P. Sure. Oh, right. That one. <laughs> this guy was involved in a situation where 43 people got killed. And it's all his fault because he outed the this resistance base in the valley the kendra valley and it was yeah. it was his intel that got these people killed and this this was such a terrible circumstance that these were rebels who had a base of operations and among these rebels was the son of kaiopaka right so the pejoran religion does not forbid reproduction among its clergy in a real enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of deal. Vedic Wynn grants Kubas Oak sanctuary, mostly because uh, Kira hates him, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, Vedic Wynn is one of the all-time great villains, I feel like, because what is motivating her is a hunger for power, but the way she pursues it is by, like, kind of making everybody's life a lot messier. Yeah. Like, She's the parent no one wants to invite to the holiday dinner, but you're obligated to. Right, yeah. The relative that has a lot of opinions about the catering at your wedding, but is nonetheless supposed to be there. Yeah, she's the leader of the very unpopular Bless You Child Party on (laughs) Bajor. And uh, she's she's even blessing Cisco, the emissary. Like, she's she really hates that he is the center of her religion, <laughs> you know. But yeah, she's really not gonna, gonna let chap that. Her. Yeah, she's not gonna let, let that stop her rise to the like secondary seat in her religion. Sure. Like he, he is the Jesus to her pope, right? God, I I had never thought of it that way, but now that I have, there's no one thinking it. <laughs> But, like, imagine if the Pope was like, I'm kind of lukewarm on Jesus. <laughs> I I don't think we can talk about what I would choose to talk about in relation to the Pope. But <laughs> what Kira and Odo need to corroborate some of this information that they're getting from Kubus and the Brig. And so they go to Odo's computer to check it out, and they realize that Vedic Wynn has used this computer, has borrowed it for for a little bit of Googling, and uh, <laughs> she did not erase her history. Yeah. Which is like the number one thing you have to do when you're using a public machine. Yeah. If you go to the Kinko's to print something out, and you don't then log back out of your Google, bad move, you know? The thing that makes me hate Vedic Wynn even more than I did already was that she's a screen toucher. They mentioned that they need to wipe the screen after she uses the computer. It's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Don't touch the screen. That's a very highly sensitive piece of material, you know? So her actions are a little suspect here. Yeah. I mean, the election is coming up, and she she and Braille are the front runners in the Make Bajor Great Again 
election. Fedek Burrell is kind of a shirtless Michael Dukakis. And uh, <laughs> Fedek Wynn is a uh, less likable Margaret Thatcher type. <laughs> like Margaret, Thra- Margaret Thatcher with a weird hat. <laughs> yeah, but Does that summarize the, uh, the race in an effective yeah. way? I think so. I guess so. I, I'd say that the only difference is that Vedic Braille isn't posing for any, like, totally embarrassing photo opportunities. Yeah. Just imagine, what, if, imagine if Michael Dukakis had been wearing the, the tank helmet but also had been shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> it's a worse look, isn't it? You didn't think that look could be worse. No, that you found a way to make it worse. <laughs> yeah, but he he's also, like, not really defending himself. He has a very deep and close connection with Kira, and yet he is not being open with her. You know, he's not—he's not helping her. Like, she's kind of, she's kind of like stuck her stuck her nose into this to the extent that Vedic Wynn is like, "Hey, like you're gonna be you're gonna be the leader of this investigation, and the prophets have foreordained that, so that's your job." And I hope you'll like keep me in the loop on what you find out because whatever you do find out could be a big, you know, like could be, could, could really influence this upcoming election. So like she is in a relationship with Braille and also wants Braille to win. She doesn't really agree with everything Braille stands for, but she's also like duty bound to get to the bottom of this situation. Right, the situation being the bombshell that Kubis Oak said that the the Kendra Valley massacre wasn't just about Prylar Beck revealing the location of the rebels, it's that Vedic Burail ordered him to disclose that fact. And so Vedic Wynn asks Kira to lead the investigation on whether or not this is true. And um, Prylar Beck is one of the people that Burail keeps seeing in his dream sequences like he's the guy that was getting hanged but then it wasn't Prylar Beck it was Vedic Burial that got hanged man he's, he's the guy that's jerking off into hotel rooms <laughs> tied to the door handle yeah he's the uh <laughs> he's the guy from Kung Fu the legend continues right he's got some real uh Michael Hutchins vibes <laughs> he's got the devil inside Ben shit dog so it's a lot of like looking at a computer file and finding that a record has been wiped and then finding a way to find the record and then finding that part of that record has been wiped. Hmm. Lost a planet, Master Obi-Wan has. How embarrassing. And seeing who has scanned their retina and who hasn't. And it's a lot of like pretty, like I, th- I, th- I think a lot of the like last, third of this episode is some kind of facile writer's room like oh we'll just make up some techno babble about oh these are the mathematical representations of part of somebody's retinal scan because someone erased it from the archive memory it doesn't quite add up to feeling like you understand how any of this stuff works truly wonderful the mind of a child is you're just gonna have to take their word for it that the investigation is real the most satisfying part of cop show, the genre, is like hitting the streets 
and and interviewing suspects and like yeah and like, like slipping magnif- a strip of latinum to quirk and getting some information out of him that changes the situation you know right and what this does instead of like finding like interesting physical evidence is it turns it into like forensic computing right. and that's a thing that even the csi show has the good sense to like not lean on entirely like you got to get out of the lab at some point but but a ton of this episode is spent doing computer yeah getting getting o'brien to do some computer getting dax to do some computer getting odo to do some computer uh showing some stuff on a screen and it's like just like eight numbers pop up and it's like wouldn't it be we'll great if the Vols were still a concern? Like, if the Vols, <laughs> like, for the rest of season two, were, like, chewing through wires and then, like, in this scene, stopping them from doing the investigation? Oh, yeah, we had, like, three quarters of the retina scan, but then we <laughs> lost it because of the Vols. <laughs> Give me those Vols. Give me those Vols any day of the week. Do you think Mirror Universe Vols are, like, like helpful? They're like <laughs> put, splicing wires together. Yeah, they're little, uh, they're little O'Briens putting everything back together. <laughs> the investigation, all of this crap reveals that Burial appears to have deleted a bunch of computer files that would strongly implicate him in having called the shots, called called the Prylar Beck betrayal. He was the top guy. He. Uh, made some call that led the the good Prylar to betray 43 people to the Cardassians. Morn. 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 Sweet. Morn. 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 You need everybody? Morn. Stop. Have a time. Kira is rightly destroyed by this news and confronts Vedic Burial about it. And Vedic Burial pretty matter-of-factly comes clean about it like to the degree that he's like don't ask me because i'm gonna tell you and it's gonna hurt you right like she 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 walks in on him as he's closing the zombie box and he's like psyched to see her and she 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 really opens the cannon up on him she's like i i just saw some some shit in the computer that makes me think that you're behind all of this. Like those people in that massacre didn't need to lose their lives. And the reason they did is you. And that as like a, you know, a totally bought in Bajoran nationalist, the character that, that Kira is couldn't be a bigger betrayal. Like this is the man she loves and he rode for the wrong team. At the at a time when it really mattered, Kira is the sort of character that, like, having made up her mind about a person, pretty much sticks to that. Mm-hmm. Ten minutes later, Kira is going to kiss this man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, and and the thing that he says to her, like, I was really surprised in this moment that it didn't draw her back over. Is he says like. Hey, listen, like, I had to do what I had to do because if the Cardassians didn't get some very specific intel, what they would have done is just go through this whole region, every town, every person, man, woman, children, and killed all of them. I probably saved 1,200 people for betraying these 43. Like, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. 
I, I did what I had to do. It was a really tough time. And the moral implications of every choice I made were not clear. And she is like, fuck you. Fuck, fuck you for betraying rebels. Like, these were the people that were actually changing the game for Bajorans. Kira could have totally lost those 1,200 people for 43 rebels. Yeah. She doesn't see it that way. She This new math that Barail is spitting, she's not down. <laughs> like NU umlaut math? Yeah. Kira doesn't prescribe to that kind of equation. Kira was on the resistance, which means, like, no deal. No deal of any kind. Yeah. And it's like the biggest betrayal because... Not only does it make her hate him, it makes her have to go deliver victory into the lap of Vedic Wynn, who she fucking hates. Yeah, Vedic Wynn ends up being a Kai Wynn by the end of it. Yeah, she gets to wear the same... Like, I I wondered, like, like early in the episode, I was seeing the dream sequence Vedic, uh, Kai Barail... Kai yeah. it really it really doesn't run, roll off the tongue, but Kai Barail, a very different costume from Kai Opaka, mm-hmm. and I wondered, does Kai win? Hue more closely to dream sequence Kai Barail or reality Kai Opaka, <laughs> and in fact, she nails what dream sequence Kai Barail wore. <laughs> Why did she do that? <laughs> I don't know. How did she pick that costume? Ben, you got to get a brooding scene here. <laughs> so we get the single pan flute of doing your duty and revealing your boyfriend to be a collaborator in the process. Kira's pissed. She is pissed, but what she comes up with by the end is it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, uh, it's you know, like she, she has delivered victory to the new Kai... Kai Ratchet, and she's like, but that it doesn't really comport with what I know about Barile. Like, he's not that dude. And what she figures out is that he was, like, all all of this cover-up was not him covering up his own misdeeds. It was him covering up that Kai Opaka, in fact, took that moral stand. Took the moral stand of saving the 1,200 people for the 43. Kira's reaction to this was my reaction to this. Like, why are you covering for her? <laughs> She's on a weird prison planet. Like, throw her under the bus. Yeah. I mean, it's a big reveal, right? That Opaka did a thing that is morally ambiguous. She she was so anointed at the beginning of this series. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what this series is kind of about, right? It's like the the pure becoming impure and having to grapple with that. There's that feeling during the button of this episode of like something out of focus coming into tight focus, which is like everyone being sad and pissed that they've elected a spiteful and unpredictable leader. (laughs) Like, whoa. Oh, that's what's going to happen on this show. Fuck. (laughs) I'm watching the show as an escape. Yeah. I don't need this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kira and Vedic Barail kiss. 
So that's back on, but his political career seems over. Yeah. He's just going to have to hang out in the Senate. Yeah. He's going to have to be a maverick in the Bajoran Senate. (laughs) (laughs) Shirtless maverick. You've tagged the potential title of the episode so many times, I I don't even know what to say, Adam. (laughs) Good luck, Ben. Did you like this episode? I did. It's so much darker of an episode than... I'm used to Star Trek giving us. Mm-hmm. I think it's a table-setting episode. It's a uh, here's a new villain in a way that the Maquis episodes Maquis? kind of were about, you know. I think that Deep Space Nine, in a weird way, was like a little navel-gazy up till this back back half of season two. I was like, what are, what are our villains going to be, you know? We can't just keep doing TNG. Well, the difference now is that it's not just a villain, but it's a villain with power. Right. And I think giving Kaiwin power was a really great choice for conflict. Like, they can't do anything about it. The election's over. The election's over, and we're all going to have to deal with this monster being the top dog. You're just going to have to hope this person dies in office. (laughs) <laughs> or or gets impeached or or something yeah i mean i think what you hope is that like november comes around and a vedic assembly gets elected that is very much opposed to the agenda of this guy right and then eventually this guy is in fact impeached and imprisoned for her crimes and dies penniless and alone. Yeah. I mean, I think you could argue that, that Wynn has always been alone, totally incapable of feeling friendship or love by anyone in yeah. a real way. Right. Kind of acting out their own pathology on everybody else yeah. in a way that, that unfortunately echoes through history and in a way that I hope that we learn to avoid in the future Mm. well put Ben I'm not sure I like this episode and I think I don't want to believe it's because I'm watching uh, Kira love on someone else that can't be it (laughs) she's free to love who she wants that's what I want for I think my problem with episodes having to do with Beryl is that like I don't understand the charisma. Like, everyone is acting as though he has leadership charisma, but I just don't see it. Like, if he even had ginger Jesus amounts of charisma, I would I would be like, oh, yeah, that's the guy. I want him to be leader. But I'm yeah. not sure I've ever felt a moment where I've wanted Vedic Burrell to be the leader of the Bajorans. He's just well, not yeah. cool well, Every time he me. says, I can be very Kaisidential, <laughs> you, you won't believe how Kaisidential I could be. Right. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't ring true. I want to root for him, and that's the problem. Is like I, the only person I'm rooting for here is Kira. Would you say that your big problem with Vedic Braille is that he had uh, he was receiving emails on a personal server? Yeah, that was it. That was all it took. <laughs> and then Odo had to go and do that press conference, like the day before the election. Didn't have to do that. 
Not a great October surprise, Odo. One thing that never surprises us, Ben, is the rate and quantity of Priority One messages we have to read on each and every show. What do you say we take a look at that inbox? I'd be delighted to, Adam. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a Priority One message here. It is of a personal nature that is from the Gooch, drunk on Mexican clam beer. And it is for whatever. <laughs> so it sounds like the Gooch, who we've heard from before, is is drunk texting the friends of DeSoto, essentially. <laughs> yeah. It goes like this. The Gooch is drunk, and all I want is here, Kevin, try to sing Faith of the Heart. Oh, so, and then I think we've got some lyrics here. You wanna, do you want to trade off stanzas, Adam? You know, I don't normally like to go to a karaoke bar and sing. I much, <laughs> I much prefer to just get a booth in the back and enjoy some cheap beers. My sibilant ass kind of embarrasses me, and I don't like to put it on public display quite like that. But here it goes. It's been a long way Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally near And I can feel the change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way And they're not gonna hold me down no more (laughs) Together No, No, they're not gonna gonna hold me down Cause I've got faith Every shot <laughs> Then it cuts off I think that's the 350 characters Yeah, that's all you get Whatever. That's a really uh, dissonant Clangy sound Hearing the, the ice cream truck But also the, the backing track Yeah, what a mess Yeah, fuck Not pleasant Gooch, you, you are well and truly drunk <laughs> Yeah, yeah, stay out of that clam beer. That would be my recommendation. (laughs) Well, if you'd like uh, to drunk text the Friends of DeSoto, you know what to do. You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal drunk text, and it's 200 bucks for a commercial drunk text. They really help with the ongoing production of the show. Uh, They make tours possible. They make everything possible with respect to the show. So thanks. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. 
Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I did. I mean, it's it's hard to find a Shimoda in an episode that's so self-serious. Not a lot of fun to be had here, but I think, uh, I think I've got to give it to Beryl for, uh, for being contractually shirtless. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a, that's a, that's just a going concern for him. That, you just uh, think his agent is that powerful yeah. that they were like, yeah, he'll come back. He'll, he'll, he'll reprise his role as Beryl, but yeah. he will reprise it shirtlessly. Yeah, we're going to give him a ton of costume changes. One of them is just going to be pants. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Uh, I, uh, those pants are a little bit like, um, what's the guy from Girls that's in all the new Star Wars movies? Adam Driver? 
Yeah, the 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 Adam Driver pants from uh, <laughs> yeah from from Last Jedi. One of my favorite parts of a great movie. My drunk Shimoda is the guys that hang around with Kai uh, with a uh, with Kai Win. Yeah, with uh, with with Vedic Win, the the purple men. <laughs> I call them the, the grimaces. The older purple men. Right. I wondered, does Vedic Win fuck these dudes? <laughs> like. Why do Are they, they consorts? Why do they like her? What is what is in this for them? Do they believe her political like like she's so explicitly power hungry? Like I can't imagine anybody being anybody being close to her like and also a devout monk and really buying this shit. I mean, I guess I I guess I shouldn't be that naive, but I just every time I saw these guys around her, I was like, "What what's in it for this dude?" Think, and she's surrounded by them all the time. You think Monk Bush is just enormous? Like, do you think that's the biggest bush? Yeah, they're not doing a, that much monkscaping, especially because of all the blousey robes. Like, yeah, yeah, you're just flowing they're li- free. They're living that robe life. <laughs> sure are. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? Next episode, if you can believe it, is season two, episode 25, Tribunal. This is just a trail of tears at this point. (laughs) Yeah. I I am sure President Jackson had something to do with what is happening to us at this point. (laughs) O'Brien is arrested by the Cardassians and put on trial for a crime he insists he did not commit. Oh, boy. Some more torturing of O'Brien. Give me some of that. The Netflix Corporation has it in a slightly different way. It says, while leaving for a vacation with Keiko, O'Brien encounters Boone, a former crewmate from the Rutledge. Oh, shit, dog. About that. Rutledge callbacks. I do like a nice Rutledge callback. Ben, I'm reading here. This is the first episode directed by Avery Brooks. Oh, man. How about that? That is exciting. I can't believe there are 26 episodes of season two. Wasn't it 24 per season on TNG? I'd have to look that up, Ben. It's just a lot of episodes. If you got 52 weeks a year, they're making a full half a year worth of DS9 episodes. That's a lot of episodes. It's just entirely too many episodes, Ben. Yeah, a fire hose of episodes. Getting up to almost the season finale. This is the... uh penultimate episode of season two indeed do you want to roll some dice for me my good friend and see if uh see if we're doing this in a way (laughs) i can do that uh we are on square 77 ben you're required to learn as you play roll we're on the porch of an nth degree episode let's see what i'm able to do here on these bones Oh, I've rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which hops us over the nth degree to the other side. But just barely. We're on square 79. Three away from a Caught in the Nebula episode, which is the No Notes episode of Your Nightmares. Yeah, that's the one I don't want to hit. And we'll have to talk about if we want to change any of these squares for next season. Oh, yeah? But, uh... He said threateningly. (laughs) That'll be the next episode, Adam. Uh, We gotta direct people 
to our Twitters. You're on there at Cut for Time. I'm at Benjamin R. Use the hashtag GrazeGen to talk about the show. Recommend it to your friends. Thanks, of course, as always, to the uh, creators of the music on this show. We've got Dark Materia doing the original theme song and Adam Ragusea doing the edit of that song as well as all the interstitial music we have and uh, so much more music Adam Ragusea has done uh, both on our mainline TNG episodes, our special donor bonus episodes, our greatest discovery episodes. Yeah. Come see us on the road. We're doing uh, Greatest Gen Con this year, here in 2018. It is, uh, is a really fun show. We are coming to many, many towns in the United States and Canada. Uh, go to greatestgencon, K-H-A-N.com. Those tickets are selling out at a lot of those shows, so don't sleep. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which uh, may or may not be asked how many lights it sees. Didn't even think about that part. Right? It's a, it's a light-based interrogation with those Cardis, right? You think, yeah. uh, you think O'Brien's going to be stripped down? You think yeah. we can just see some Scottish butt? <laughs> He's Irish, Adam. He's Irish. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.